So, Jeff, good morning. Good morning, David. Here we are Monday morning after an amazing 20, roughly 20 days right. in Egypt. And we have been watching with much anticipation to see how this thing was going to roll out. So I'm really glad that we're getting a chance to talk about this now that there actually has been sort of a bookend to this first thing. The question was, was Mubarak actually going to go after 30 years? Given the secret police and all the rest of it, were they really going to make this happen with the protesters? And now we know as of Friday, he's gone. And so lots more to talk about, but we can now really go in and take a look at this, which I'm just really happy we're doing with you today, and see what we see through the integral view. So here we are, extraordinary thing happening in Egypt. Still don't know how it's really going to go, but some an amazing two to three weeks here. What do you see from an integral view? Well, the great thing that Integral brings to the party when looking at something like what's happening in Egypt is that we see that cultures evolve. I mean, it's, it's undeniable that life evolved and the universe evolved, but Integral brings an interior view to evolution where we see that cultures evolve through various stages predictably and that individual human consciousness evolves through various stages predictably. So what we're seeing in Egypt is a, a great new, punctuated evolutionary month in, in, in the Arab world in general, where modernism is coming online. Modernism coming out of traditionalism, coming out of more authoritarian structures, and, you know, roaring its voice uh, throughout the Middle East. And I predict that this will be a very significant year for the Middle East in general, uh, and will be seen historically as such. And what th does modernism, what does modernism bring? I mean, what is the, what is the, the demand of modernism? And the demand of modernism is I am somebody. I am, my basic human rights are more important. My individual human rights are more important, or at least have to be taken into some serious account with the rights of the culture or the rights of the rulers and that the, the rights of man, that, that human beings are supreme over the government is a very new and yet irresistible evolutionary impulse among humanity. And it's well established in much of the world. In fact, there's an, an amazing consensus around the basic ideas of modernity and there being more or less, you know, um, implemented in various countries, but at tremendous speed. And the Arab world sees themselves falling behind, um, even like India and China and, and the, the Asian tigers and, and the, you know, East Asia. And so they're like, what's the matter with us? You know, and here we have a hundred million people in the Arab world between the ages of 15 and 30. And think about that. That is, it's one third of the people. And that is a, a group of people who, particularly once they get a taste of modernity, and of course they're soaking in it because they're seeing it through the culture and the internet and Western values and Western ideas and just modernist ideas from all over the world, that at some point it becomes unbearable to be kept under the lid of a pre-modern structure. And so it you know, can lay fallow for decades, uh, and it has in Egypt and in the Middle East in general. And then in one, basically, if you think about the whole thing, six-week period, um, it, you know, everything changes, and we're into this whole new thing. And 
you know, what really started it off was this amazing and heartbreaking and, you know, I hope historically inspiring story of this young fruit vendor in Tunisia, which is just up the African coast, a small, more backward country than Egypt. And he's 26 years old and he's supporting his extended family with his fruit cart. And as is the typical kind of economy in these kinds of backward countries, he gets uh, met by the officials who come and want to tax him or take his fruit cart or whatever it is that they wanted. You know, basically hitting him up, more of a mafia kind of a system, actually, when you get into these pre-modern economies. And he stood up to this functionary from the government, a woman in her 50s, he's 26. And she took his, had, you know, had her henchman take his cart and take his fruit. And when he complained, she slapped him when he argued with her. And that is a very powerful thing, particularly if you think in sort of a pre-modern mentality, women hitting men, um, it's just, it's humiliating, it's all of that good stuff. So all of this is happening in this poor 26-year-old kid. It's just, he just finds it unbearable. And in his case, it was. And he went and he got, uh, you know, half a gallon of paint thinner and went to the city square and self-immolated. Uh, set himself on fire in protest. And that is a, that's a very special act. I mean, it's, you, you see this kind of a self-sacrifice. You, you notice what he didn't do was he didn't strap himself with explosives and go into the city square and blow people up. Or he didn't even go to the, you know, go shoot up the city square. He made no revenge on this woman. But he said, I can't bear this. And so, that began this whole, that's, a, that's basically a modernist statement. I am somebody. Look at me. Look at the despair. Look at the unbearableness of this. And it just lit a torch. Right. And I'm willing whole. to sacrifice my life. And we're going totally. to see this theme as we yes. go into Egypt as well. Is what, is what is the proclamation Yes. when someone stands and says, well, what's the ultimate? What, how far am I willing to go? Right. And so in this particular case with him, but we'll see it again in Egypt. Yeah. So in Egypt then... We have this group of people who are already uh, with Facebook and, uh, and Twitter and, you know, the, the, the Internet. These are basically, uh, well, Wael Gonim. He's become a hero of this Egyptian revolution. He's 30 years old. He works for Google. He's well-educated. He's married to an American. He's modernist through and through, you know, in terms of his worldview, perhaps even postmodernist in terms of like deeply world-centric guy. A lot of people in Egypt are. And this is the revolution of these people, the people who had access to computers and Twitter and that sort of thing. And so they put a page together to uh, memorialize this young man from Egypt who was beaten up by Mubarak's secret police and featured on their homepage a picture of this bright, shining young man who was, uh, you know, part one of them, who after six weeks was taken out of the morgue of the secret police with his face bashed in and had these two pictures side by side. And it was just galvanizing to Egyptians who thought, and can you imagine? I think as integralists, we actually want to feel in to the energies of this thing. It's one of the things that we can do. We take subtle energy seriously. We take the winds of karma seriously in the sense that we can, in this soup that we're swimming in on this planet, actually feel in to what it is to have a modernist sensibility, but to be at the, at the, at the mercy of a secret police force that can take people and beat them and 
kill them and disappear them. And so that's what modern is. And of course, that's an old story. If you look at history, modernism is always coming out of, you know, by definition, pre-modernism. And pre-modernism is, in one form or the other, ethnocentric and autocratic. Right. And whether that is fascist in a certain sort of way, which is like a, a strongman dictator, military yeah. sort of version of that, or we look at the church, and in this particular case, it would be like Iran. It would be more of a fundamentalist Islam, but certainly the Christian world doesn't get, a, get off the hook here. I mean, right. we saw modernism come out of a reaction to the Catholic Church yeah. in, in Europe. Well, it's one of the, it's one of the ways that it, uh, Ken's Aqua Maps helps so much because you see um, levels and lines. Mm. So you see that we can absolutely, and we've seen many instances of this, uh, and it's a bad thing where you have a country that will get to modernist technology and pre-modern, that is ethnocentric values and thinking. And that would be Nazi Germany. You know, they had all kinds of technology wrapped around the idea of exterminated genocide. Right. You know, genocide's nothing new. It's, it's ethnocentric and, you know, beneath in terms of structures. It's just that most ethnocentric cultures didn't have modern technology. That's different here in Egypt. At this point, the Egyptian people, this is, this is my view and we'll see, but I think it's defensible. The Egyptian people are cognitive. We talk about the Egyptian people. In fact, we should look at that. It's, right. it's not one group of people. And that's what Integral also sees, that there's a strata of Egyptian people. But there's a significant enough strata of modernist thinking um, Egyptians that um, I think it's going to bode well for what's going on. And I would argue that even in his best days, Mubarak was modernist. I mean, he wasn't Saddam Hussein. He wasn't Kim Jong-il. He wasn't, you know, this is, this is why it worked in, in Egypt. A nonviolent um, demonstration, a nonviolent protest can only work when a society or the, the, the ruling structure has developed a conscience. And that's a very, very important point that we can see as integralists. And Mubarak had done that. If you go to what Saddam Hussein would have done with a nonviolent protest or Kim Jong-il, you'd never see those people again. Or Tiananmen again. Square. I mean, or Tiananmen Square. That was, that was where the hard line in, in China basically uh, won that argument. Exactly right. And, and Mubarak didn't do that. I mean, he sort of tried and, you know, killed 300 people in these demonstrations. But uh, his secret police were basically overwhelmed by the protesters. I mean, that was a, that was a, I mean, it was a heartbreaking thing to see, but it was very inspiring. And then, of course, the military is sitting there as the ones with the real muscle. And there, you know, I would argue center of gravity modernist as well. You know. So let's let's talk about the players because okay. a theme that got echoed through the media coverage is that here are the particulars to Egypt as opposed to even Tunisia or as opposed to Iraq, Iran, or any of the other, Saudi Arabia, any of the others you know that are sort of sitting there. And so, like always, we see a unique set of properties in terms of who the players are. So let's let's take a look at that. So we saw we saw this number of young people pour into the start pouring into the square. That was the first thing. And that they, for the most part in the beginning, were nonviolent until they were attacked. Right. And yet you just said, all right, so there's the secret police thing that was around that did happen, they reacted to. But then there's the military. And then most importantly, or not most importantly, but another huge group is everybody that wasn't in the square. Right. That wasn't on Twitter, that wasn't on Facebook, which is 
most of the rest of the country right. and what were they thinking of all this so why don't you let's see if we can just sort of tease that out a little bit and yeah. see who the players were that added up to this interesting outcome that we have now that is in sort of its midpoint you know, yeah. sort of being birthed in yeah. a way it's not done yeah. but something's being done well, yeah, and you would see that uh, as any country, and you see this in the United States too, there are several very important strata online, uh, strata of development, cultural development that are online in any country. And in Egypt, it's, you know, we see these modernists, you know, these Google, the, the middle class, shopkeepers, a lot of people who are just parents with kids, you know, these people want to engage the world. They want to be bring Egypt into the, you know, community of nations in all four quadrants. You know, it's a beautiful thing. They're inspired by that. And, of course, there are pre-modern people, just as there are in our country. And these are people who are the most socially conservative, and they're, by definition, ethnocentric. And so ethnocentric people, um, and also just developmentally, they're closer to sort of a red chaos kind of hedonistic kind of structure of development. If you look at, you know, basic spiral dynamics, we have red, which is kind of a hedonistic power dynamic structure. We have traditionalism, which is blue or Ken, in Ken's, it's amber altitude. And those precede modernism. And those structures are very much online still in Egypt. And those folks, and these are people who are, you know, generally the countryside, the small towns, just as they are in Western countries. Uh, urban people tend to be more uh, liberal along these lines. Uh, but you have, and, and this remains to be seen. It's, it's something I haven't been able to get my fingers on or get my arms around is what percentage of Egyptian people are basically pre-modern ethnocentric, in which case they are, they'd be fine with more of a theocratic thing. They're, they're not secular yet. They're religious. A religious government would be more comfortable for people like that. They're very easily spooked by demonstrations or any, when they see a mob, when they see a, forget mob, when they see a group of people, peaceful demonstrators in the streets, they see a mob. Because they're just closer to that structure of mob rule. You know, that was the history of humanity. And it still vibrates in socially conservative people. You know, they, they want their own guns. They want to protect themselves. They feel foreign influence, spies, that kind of stuff that has a lot of resonance with them. And you saw uh, kind of midway through these demonstrations that the Mubarak government and the state TV was doing its best to spin these demonstrations to the whole rest of the country as, you know, foreign people, foreign media, um, that sort of thing. And, and, and it's a good message. I can see why they did it. It resonates just as it does in this country with our social conservatives. The, uh, you know, Glenn Beck is as ethnocentric as, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, which is why he hates the Muslim Brotherhood so much and is so fears them. And so these are dynamics. And, and yet, as we look at democracy in a pure one-person, one-vote democracy, these people have to be accommodated. They have to be seen. They have to be, they're going to vote. And so we want to get modernist structures of, uh, you know, free speech and good, reliable court systems and a police force that is, you know, not just keeping somebody in power. Those kinds of structures need to be built and they'll, they'll be built over time in Egypt. But um, I think we're going we're gonna to be okay. 
And let me just, you know, mention Mubarak for a, a minute because, you know, of course he's history. He's in the Ashbin of history now. But he's an interesting character. And, you know, as we point to the evolution or the continuum of more and less civilized autocrats, he was on the more civilized end of things. Now, you would never try to talk somebody who was at the receiving end of one of his clubs that he was because he killed people and he imprisoned people and he was an autocrat in all senses of the word. But as I pointed out, he didn't mow people down. Um, he basically couldn't um, because the military is there and they are um, a pretty much a, a modern force in the country. And unique so, in this particular, in, yes. a, in a certain sense, kind of unique in a way. Yeah. That certainly when you see what happened in Iran with their the 2009 sort of beginnings of something and then got crushed, certainly Iraq before we went in and totally dismantled everything. Yeah. You saw the military really, in a sense, being an extension of whatever the power was and then acting on that. But in this particular case, the military were actually... And this was always so strange at the beginning, the trusted ones, right, yeah. by the people. Yeah. And certainly, well, we'll get into what the United States role was, but I mean, in a certain sense that we've funded them yeah. for a while, for 30 years. I mean, as part of the whole Israel, Egypt, keep it cool, don't go to war kind of thing. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the military, because that was always the question throughout yeah. when this was still in doubt. Yeah. What's the military going to do? Well, and you have to give Mubarak some credit there. Mubarak was a military guy. He, um, uh, for thirty, for the first ten years, was I guess a pretty good liberating force. And of course, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But he uh, nurtured the military to be a modernist force. They were, you know, well in, 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 enmeshed with Western militaries. Uh, you know, always here, back and forth. A lot of studying. A, a billion, right. one point three billion dollars poured into the military and personal relationships. That was the other thing that I watched: is who was talking on the inside. And yeah. Certainly, there were all the politicians yeah. in the State Department, but there were key things going back and forth between military. Our chief, you know, our our guys that were, you know, the big commanders were talking to their counterparts. Absolutely, yeah. and that's one of the things that. You know, it's just jaw-dropping about modernity in a way. It's just it's these very, very smart people who have a good sense of history and a good sense of what's going on are all just, you know, the communication between people is has its own sort of emergent quality of wisdom in a way that is interesting. But anyway, you know, do we think about the military? Mubarak, you know, presided over that. He was big daddy. If you want to look at this sort of continuum of dictators... Think of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, T Tennessee Williams. Mubarak was big daddy. He wanted to be loved. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he protected his people. He thought they were crazy and feckless and, you know, couldn't be trusted, just like big daddy. You know, and they kind of hated him and hated being under his thumb. And he could be brutal when he was mad. Uh, but he was the sort of symbol of the country and he was the patriarch. You know, this is classic patriarchy in its actually more civilized form. And um, so, you know, what happens then is he nurtures this military that's very westernized. He was westernized. You know, people, Hillary Clinton, these people had personal relationships with him. He's, you know, not a bad guy. He could tell a good joke. He's, you know, has a lot of capacity. Uh, anybody who stays in power for 30 years in Egypt has a lot of capacity. And eventually he's 83 years old. 
He doesn't get it. He really doesn't. I mean, he's patronizing to these protesters that they're children, that their mother should come take them home. You know, he gives them this, he gives them that, and he's going to do it in his own time. And for them, it's like, it's like every big daddy eventually gets stood down, you know, by the next generation. And that last statement yeah. uh-huh. by Suleiman in this hideous, like, fluorescent lit hallway with right. the closed door at the end and his, you know, scowling face in, like, what was it, you know, three or four sentences. You could just tell that Mubarak didn't write that yeah. <laughs> with his own that. hand. Yeah. Yeah. But all good, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, I don't think the Egyptian people want to hang him mm-hmm. or anything like the Iraqis did, mm-hmm. you know, rightly so. Mm-hmm. They want to let him be, you know, they'll want to get his money back. Uh, they're going to want to, there'll be some people who want to punish him. But by and large, he's going to be Big Daddy in, you know, his uh, twilight years. And that's probably okay. Right. Yeah. So much has been made of the media in the widest possible sense, in the sense that we now live in a world of social media, which includes the internet, Facebook, Twitter, all these things. Also television, still, let's not forget that television still, when it, particularly when it's in a 24-7 cycle, like we saw around this for, you know, while we were all kind of watching to see what was going to happen. Incredibly important. So let's talk a little bit about that because it, it, the eyes in which we see through, right? And certainly you could see the difference on the different channels. Once again, Fox tending to be more conservative, CNN trying to find its way kind of in the middle, MSNBC kind of doing its leaning a little bit to the liberal side, although in this there was, there was more agreement than there was yeah. disagreement about yeah. what was going on. Mm-hmm. But then we saw something that is not so unfamiliar in any of these revolutions, which is really what it turned out to be, rather than just some chaos in the street. The media got involved, and they got involved in the sense they were trying to cover the story and then got swept up in it, and then it started to come toward them. So we saw for a couple of days there, uh, Anderson Cooper hiding out in an undisclosed location, talking in very hushed tones about the fact that they had no cameras on the square. And that had been by design. So let's talk a little bit about what you, first of all, saw in the media. And there was also the the extraordinary cutoff of the Internet. Cell phones went dead. All these things that we so depend on. But somehow the story continued. Somehow it had power enough to work around these blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just shows the sort of, um, you you might call the smart, dumb line of development. Autocracies are are dumb. Mm -hmm. You know, they really don't have creative thinking there's no sparkle there there's brute force and you got to take that seriously but really there's there's no match in a certain way for the new ways that people connect with each other and i'm not sure that it doesn't change things radically in a way that we don't quite have our arms around Hmm. that the social media which are basically um you know, we're talking modern, postmodern here at, at this point. You're completely world-centric. Facebook has no preference over where you are when you want to be on Facebook, nor does Twitter. There's nothing ethnocentric. There's nothing, nothing nationalistic about them. They are completely world-centric. And they're also bringing the interiors online. So people, you know, reveal themselves in terms of their, as we say in integral speak, left-hand quadrants. You know, so this is new. I mean, I don't know quite what to make of it, but it's very, very difficult 
for autocracies to deal with it. They just, they're just being end run all around. And you hear people talking about the people who are raising red flags about what could come in, in Egypt, and you know, fair enough. I mean, we should look at the red flags. And one of them is the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood is, you know, they would be, you know, relatively ethnocentric. They are not secular. These are pre-modern people. They uh, would probably, in an ideal world, think go for Sharia law. You know, they don't like Israel. And, you know, they have been um, uh, the opposition to Mubarak all along, in some ways by his own design, because it kept them as sort of the focus of, of um, his enemy. Uh, and you could see why. They tried to assassinate him three times. They killed Sadat right beside him. He was wounded in that fight, you know. So there's a lot of, you know, personal animosity about these guys. And the Muslim Brotherhood was allowed to organize, and so they're a force in the country. Uh, but you know who else is organized? Everybody with Twitter, everybody on Facebook, in a way that is so flexible and so intelligent and so moving by the minute that it's, you know, we have to take that into account. And then when you think about the media in there, and of course the world media is bringing the eyes of the world onto everything. So you could imagine what would happen in countries like North Korea. And we know what happens in North Korea. You know, they burn people at the stake, literally, uh, and have done that as, as public executions because there's no eyes of the world on, you know. Uh, so that's what the media is doing. And that's what's so hopeful about this is that the whole world, the attention of the whole sort of developed, more modern, center of gravity, modern, postmodern world is looking at Egypt like, yay, welcome back, Egypt. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the, uh, I remember Wael Galin, the, the um, Google executive, in his, it was, uh, his interview with um, Anderson Cooper right after Mubarak resigned, he said, that's what we were doing here. We were looking for Egypt. You know, we knew, we knew the history of Egypt, but they had convinced us for the last 30 years that Egypt was dead. And that we were supposed, I love this line, and this, this points out that, that out modernist outrage. Mm -hmm. He said, they thought that we were the generation that was supposed to just eat and sleep. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine your tw early 20s? You see the world, you're saturated in media, and you're in a government that wants you to just eat and sleep. Outrageous. You can't do it. You literally can't do it. And he said that. He said, the turning point was when we deeply got it, that it was better to die fighting for a dignified society that, than it was to continue to live in indignity. When we finally got it, then we were unstoppable. And he said, so we're out on the streets, you know, and they had organized a few thousand people, whatever. He said, all of a sudden, we see that we're surrounded by the shopkeeper and people we don't know, and the fire in their eyes is as strong as the fire in our eyes. And then we look around, and there's tens of thousands, and then millions. And he said, we knew at that point that we had you know, we had lit the torch mm -hmm. and you can't unlight that torch, yeah. you know. And so we have with the media and with the State Departments and all of these really smart people. I mean, we should give our bureaucrats and our you know, diplomats and our elected officials credit. They're doing it. You know, they're messing up their, you know, it's, it's a moving target. But there's a deep groove and this is as integral as we can actually see it as a karmic groove, a morphogenic field. Mm -hmm of modernity that is so online in the planet right now.
It's not like in the French Revolution and the American Revolution where you know we we're just making it up out of nothing and the right. center of gravity was pulling us down. So, yeah, let's look at the international community for yeah. a second because in, in all of this, there was always the question of particularly what the United States is going to do. <clears throat> what are other players in the, in the region going to do? Where were we going to get support? And one of the things that always challenges our sort of sense of equilibrium is when one of these things go off and we can't predict, right? So you're looking at this thing in the street the first few days and going, well, this is interesting. And, they're sta and these people are standing up for the first time. They're saying it. I'm standing up for the first time, right? We're not docile. We have a voice and we're going to be here, right? And the question was, what happens when the inevitable counter-revolution comes back at you, which it did two days, and everybody said, well, you know, they could fold. Well, they didn't. They actually rose to a higher level each time there was a wave pushed back, yeah. and they rose to a higher level, which I think in some ways, you know, what you're talking about in terms of where did that go with Mubarak and the people around him, they didn't say, all right, just step it up and just crush them. They actually said, whoa. They're not going away. Better response than just crush them, right. Right, which they could have done. I mean, they, you know. And then, where's the army going to be in that? But then the question is, what do we do, right? And there's America. And, and so, what do you see? Well, first of all, during the thing, and then now going forward, what what is the role of the international community yeah. in all this? Well, I think that you know we could look that the international community that will be impacting egypt is going to be center of gravity in my opinion postmodern mm -hmm. so modernists when we were modern uh, in terms of center of gravity then i'm talking about the west the united states so forth it was okay with us to support an autocrat because it kept the oil fields pumping kept the suez canal going it kept uh, Israel, you know, safe, peace treaty, no problem. It becomes harder and harder as we move into postmodernity, which actually gets us a connection with the interiors of other people. Modernity can see the exteriors of a world centric. They can see world centrically in an exterior sense. Postmodernism brings on an interior sense of world centricity. So we, our hearts break for these people. And we start to see them as, as valuable and good as we are, you know, and as worthy. I mean, it's literally our view gets bigger as we move up these stages of development. And so now we, it's untenable. It's harder for us. I mean, you do find some people on the left saying, or on, I'm sorry, on the far right, who are, you know, sort of pro-Mubarak. Rush Limbaugh didn't know quite what to do. He fumbled around with that for a while. Because, it, you know, if you look at just real basic interests, you, there's an argument, although there actually isn't. Because, you know, you can't uncook this egg. This modernity is online here. And so it's basically in our selfish interests to stay ahead of it too. But it's also part of our moral makeup at this point where we want to see, we want Egypt to come back too. We want us, this is a 6,000 year old culture. Yeah. You know, this is a country that has been asleep and it was invaded by everybody over the years. You know, it's really never been free, you know, even King Farouk and, you know, those guys, they were still, you know, they, it's just, this is a new thing for them and to, and they want to, so what is Egypt? You know, what is the Egyptian vibe? What does the sacred, what does the sacred world to come you know, what part of that is going to be informed by Egyptianness? Right. And 
this is an exciting thing. And so the world, you know, I think, you know, once you get into integral stages of consciousness and stuff, you start looking in those ways. But in the meantime, the world will, I think, shepherd and usher and help and I hope be humble mm -hmm. and realize that this is up to, to the Egyptian people and, and the you know, emergence itself is at play and, and God, the mind of God and the loving intelligence that informs the universe is at play here. We can trust it. You know, this isn't, this is a modernist thing. It's not, you know, it's, they're not shouting Allah, Allah. They're not shouting death to Israel. They're shouting, you know, we want to be free. Right. And as we now look forward, right, and we see this sort of midpoint with the army in control, or at least the council in control, and there were some things that happened over the weekend, and you're kind of going, all right, so what does it mean that they dissolved the Constitution and, or, and, or basically said we're going to change that, we're dissolving Parliament, which was sort of a rubber stamping anything. And you've got to go, in some ways, that seems good. When are the elections coming? And then this is the big point, is that lacking structures for elections, right, that if the election happened tomorrow, as many people were pointing out, they're just fundamentally aren't political parties formed that actually could take advantage of something that we take so for granted, right? Because we, our Republicans and Democrats and everybody else is so ingrained in us, although at the beginning of our existence as an independent nation, that was also in question. But even then, you can sort of see there were the states' rights guys and there were, you know, the Federalists and they were sort of having this discussion about, all right, so now we got to make this up. What are we going to do? It seemed like there they had actually been governing themselves for a while, right? Because Britain was all the way across the ocean until they weren't. So they actually had this sense of independence, whereas Egypt now, this has all been snuffed out pretty much. I mean, all political parties and all. So if you had the election tomorrow, there is this concern of, yeah, who actually gets elected? And this goes right to the heart of what Ken always warns about. Right, exactly. Particularly in postmodern, I'm saying everybody says, yeah, give everybody the vote. And you go, just be careful who you're giving the vote to in terms of the outcome that you want. Right. Because these stages allow us to see that vote is going to be exercised in different ways depending on those yeah. worldviews. Well, it's which what is, happened to Iran. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, you get one vote one time, right. basically. And yeah. then it's rigged from then on and you get a theocratic thing. Yeah. I don't uh, see that happening in in Egypt simply because we're, you know, 20 plus years into it now. The whole world is. Uh, and these people, I think, are secular. Um, the, the question is, um, and, and it's probably the biggest, if I have a fear, it's like, will the government, I mean, will the military really give up? Yeah. I mean, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen many, many times where the military come, takes over and basically Put, puts they, up the next strongman. Exactly. Right? And, Which you know, is what's you, been happening yeah. since 52. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It absolutely has. And so they have a long tradition of this. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think they're extra on guard for it. I don't think these demonstrators are going to allow that to happen. They are a real force. Mm -hmm. And I also notice that um, as cultures move into center of gravity um, modernism, it's like the military doesn't even want to be in charge. They get it that they ought not be in charge. And so you have like George Washington. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing that he didn't want to be king, because he could have been. There was a lot of grooves for kings. We, could have, we knew how to do kings, right. but he didn't. And, you know, the two-term thing, and Eisenhower, and there's many, many examples throughout the world of the military uh, doing their job and allowing, and allowing wanting a civilian government to take over. 
And so I'm, I'm kind of counting on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm counting on the, the pressure that the world will put on them. And we have extraordinary pressure mm -hmm. in our uh, United States because of the money that we give the military right. and because our just enmeshment right. with their military. And, you know, modernists also, they don't want, you know, with Israel, they don't want to fight Israel. Modernists want to colonize each other's economies mm -hmm. you know we don't want to call on each other's we call you know they and you know there's actually an opportunity for here i see the new york times sunday magazine had a great article uh, about um the possibilities now for um palestine and mm -hmm. um israel mm -hmm. to to move forward on a piece that you know there's amazing when you throw the cards in the air and you know what's happening in iran i mean mm -hmm. so iran's behind the curve here now right because their people can't demonstrate, right. and uh, boy, I would love to see a yeah, and yet, and similar wanted, thing happen. I there. wanted to ask you about just while we're right on this point of influence, right? Mm -hmm. So, when you look at at all the commentary in this country about how Obama continues to do more of this sort of centralist, a liberal view, and then you see the conservative view. You mentioned Russ Limbaugh. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. we can go down Glenn Beck, all those mm -hmm. you know Republicans. I mean, the major mm -hmm. conservative Republicans. What you see out out of all that? What was, I mean, there was some criticism from the right, you know, about I mean, obviously, you know, how Obama was doing. Gee, he seemed surprised by the whole thing, and you kind of go, and you weren't really how fast this went, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, so. yeah. Of course, um, we leap to defend Obama, and we go, oh, you well, he's defense. my guy. You yeah, know, you can't exactly. you can't trust me with around Obama, but <clears throat> I'll I'll do my best. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, it's been I think remarkably. Unified. I mean, if you if you take the outliers out, like the Rush Limbaugh's and the Glenn Beck's and some of those uh, people who are on the far end of the uh, on the right hand spectrum, Bill Crystal was pretty complimentary yesterday. Uh, John Boehner, you know, uh, uh, John McCain, um, uh, Lindsey Graham, the the sort of mainstream, more statesmanly Republicans uh, think that Obama did okay. I mean, they're going to try to spin it politically, but you know, Obama did, he did great. You know, a couple of missteps here and there. But when you look at the basic thing, he, you know, threw our towel in with the um, demonstrators and and did his best behind the scenes to nudge Mubarak out. They thought they had him out <laughs> about before. 12 hours before yeah. they yeah. actually did. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's 83 years old. Yeah. You know, you just have to take that into account. And he's a tragic figure. Mm -hmm. Um and so if you're 12 hours off, man, in this kind of a thing, you're, you're doing well. Yeah. One story I heard that was really interesting about this liberal conservative kind of thing about Obama. There have actually been some reactions that, well, it's kind of a spun story, but it wasn't complete denial by the White House. And the, and the story is this, is that when Obama came in, he had some choices to make about foreign policy in any number of ways. And where that really gets, where that really the rubber hits the road is what are you funding, right? Who are you funding? So I think the criticism that I heard was was that that actually under Bush that they had spent some money with in quotes the more democratic you know minority groups and had given them some support and that Obama hadn't and that they basically had actually drawn back to say we're going to support whatever goes on in Egypt through the existing power structure. So there there was that criticism, right? Mm -hmm. And you kind of go, yeah, as a liberal, I'm going, yeah, how, what's that all about? You're supporting the military and Mubarak. Now I get that that helped you with a lot of other things, anti-terrorism, Israel, and so on. But wow, you didn't spend any money with the... Hmm? And then the thing that I look at is that in every one of these revolutions, I mean, the, the critical moment always is 
is what are the guards at the gate going to do when the crowd comes? Absolutely. And that ultimately, when it is successful and not crushed, you know, by yes. the, the people at the gate go, you know what? We're with you. Yes. Pass on through. That's right. Right. So in a certain sense that when you look at leverage, when you look at political leverage here in this particular sense, in hindsight, to have that card to play with the military and basically say, look, we fund you guys and we also know you guys and you're also not part of this whole thing or you don't have to be, that that actually was incredible leverage to get them to do the right thing. And in a certain sense, to eventually, as you say, walk into Mubarak's office and say, yeah. I think it's time for you to yeah. go to the sea. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that um, what you just said about when the crowd approaches the, the, the sentries at the gate, what happens is just about, I mean, it's, it's, that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? And in pre-modern structures, that crowd's a, approaching in anger and trying to overthrow the sentries, and the sentries fire back. In modern structures, the crowd is coming with demands, but they're coming peacefully, and the army won't fire on them. And... You can't get the soldiers to fire on them. Now, there's gray areas here, but that's the basic marker between a pre-modern and a modern cultural clash. And there were undoubtedly people in the higher levels of government who, and Mubarak perhaps himself, who really in their secret hearts wished they could just fire on these people and knock them back like they did in Iran a few years ago or a couple of years ago. But I don't think they trusted that their soldiers would actually do it. And that's something. You know, because power is dispersed. It just naturally is. It's just the nature of evolution, cultural evolution, mm -hmm. that just because they say so, it doesn't happen anymore like it did in earlier structures. So that's the basic health and dignity of modernity that is, I think, unstoppable here. And one thing I think you'd like to see, we'd like to see the Obama administration do through the State Department is now that this has happened, now support the the notion of parties and the notion yes. of how do you get them organized yes. to actually have a real election yes. without as much as you can saying oh is the United States just now going to come in and manipulate this to their advantage and then then you get into this no. whole Egyptian thing about saying what are we just a puppet of America and they don't want that either well they're very wary of that yeah um, and they have a lot of hard feelings towards America about us treating them like puppets, so I can get it. But people change, and they change quickly. If they think that you really are there to help them, um, you know, some people are never going to be convinced, but the, the center of gravity will be. And I, I think these people are inclined to like and trust Obama. I think that um, they're inclined to like and trust their military, and, you know, they're keeping an eye on them, too. I, I, you know, I think it looks good. Okay. So let's, let's kind of try to bring this down personally now, mm -hmm. because we've been talking about these meta movements and, you know, stages of development and all the stuff that we can see that is so useful um, from Ken's work looking at this, right? And saying, all right, so if we're making that claim, it ought to show up in the world and here we are, right? We can look at this thing and say, look how this is showing up in the world. So we're happy about that because it, it actually gives us some hope. I think when you and I were talking in the middle of this whole thing and not knowing where it was going to go, um, I think you predicted at that time, you said, I just, I'm just on the side that this is all going to work out. And, you know, here we are. We're mid, mid stage, right? In terms of, yes, the next thing that had to happen is he had to go, Mubarak. So now we'll see. So that's all good. That went about as well <clears throat> as you could ever right. have hoped. But here we are in our lives 
it, you know, Egypt comes off the front page, which it already is doing. Other things are now starting to emerge and, you know, and we just get back into the busyness of our lives. In terms of how we hold this as folks that just love the integral view, right? And there is a personal thing to all of that, the I and all of that, both how I feel inside and then what I do in the world, right? What's your, what's your thought about how, let's just start with you. How are you going to hold this, right? Mm -hmm. As democracy, if it does, actually starts to break out in the Arab world, can we overcome our cynic? And you don't have a very strong one. I'm actually more cynical <laughs> than you. I don't. Right, where I just kind of go, yeah, well, it's going to be business as usual. And somehow this is going to get mucked up. And, you know, all the whining voice comes out. But how That's do do that? true. Yeah, it so, will be somewhat business as usual. It will be very mucky. Mm -hmm. but, so talk to me then about... You know, people listening to this thing and say, well, this is all great. Thank you for this view, Jeff. Always very useful and so on. But how does this actually apply to me? And the interesting thing, maybe even from the United States, because that's where we are. How do I, what do I do as an American citizen to encourage my leaders to do something? Yeah. Well, I think one of the great things about uh, being an integralist or evolutionary is that you realize that it's actually a practice. And one of the things that we practice as integralists is, um, you know, holding the whole field, holding the whole system and all of the players in a larger space of kind of love, you know, and so that we see that all of the players here, um, the conservatives, the, the secularists, the Sharia, the modernists, the Googles, the you know, ex-political prisoners, the, the ex-secret police, you know, all of these people, they get to be there. And, you know, they, they have to sort out their, you know, justice and how they're going to, you know, sort of metabolize their history and, and create a more healthy uh, future. And we can do that by not getting into blame, uh, to um, see that um, everybody has their perspective, and to see that there's actually a force at work that is animating the whole system and animating the whole cosmos. And that is the loving intelligence that, um, of God, you know, in second person at least. And that we can trust that. So I think as integralists, we can um, have a heart for every player to see that there is a movement happening under its own power that we can trust. And to see that, you know... As Obama said, um, the arc of history um, is long and it's hard, but it does uh, bend upward. And it only, but he, as he pointed out, it only bends upward because each of us push on it. And so then, you know, once we get our heads straight and our hearts straight about wishing these people well and 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 not hating and not adding you know, resistance and, and, you know, being bummed out to the system, then um, we uh, do what we can. You know, we might want to, you know, my friend Maria just donated to the Egyptian, some Egyptian women's fund where they help battered Egyptian, you know, that fabulous, wonderful. It's a, something that calls her heart. Um, it's voting for candidates who are more world centric, you know. It's um, talking to your friends in a way that help them understand and not be so afraid or mad about things. And um, 
that's what I do. You know, that's what I'm trying to do just as a practice. Right. And noticing myself going back to my old patterns of mm -hmm. fear and, you know, blame and so forth. Mm -hmm. But to have a, um, a view that um, actually has some faith in it. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, look, this has been fabulous. As always, really it's just so important to check in with you because you watch this stuff in terms of current events. And what we love about this at Integral Life is that, again, we make these claims in Integral that are outrageous claims about, hey, we can see better and look at what this and that. But you actually get to actually lead us through, you know, a terrific view. And I want to say that and, and what's coming up then for you, if people really are listening to this and want to dive deeper with you. You've got the Integral Incubator coming up, right? And this is a five-day intensive, not necessarily about Egypt, but certainly about all these issues as they relate to our personal lives, maybe what you're doing for work or how you're trying to make money off of this. So let's talk a little bit about that because it's upcoming. We have one coming in March, yes? Yeah, um, you know, part of Boulder Integral. And uh, we do a, um, a five-day intensive basically on... Uh, helping people uh, move forward in their lives mm -hmm. with a project. People bring their projects or they bring their goals. It's called the Integral Incubator. Mm -hmm. And it's a boot camp. You know, we have 20, 25 people. We have a bunch of coaches here. We come to Boulder. And for five days, we work on actually getting traction mm -hmm. in uh, uh, formulating a business or uh, building a business or finishing a screenplay or getting your blog launched are most of our people in some way are looking to monetize their wisdom realization mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very cool group of people. And our next one is um, March 14th through 18th. So it's coming up in a month, I guess. And then we have one in June as well. And you've still got a few slots left for and that, we have but, but going four fast, Four or five, right? yeah, yeah, left yeah. in uh, the June one. I mean, sorry, in the in March, March one. And then mm -hmm. June one, there's more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anybody who's interested in incubating their integralness mm -hmm. um, come to the integral incubator and let's work together we've done uh, i think six of them so far and they're all they've been just really great so yeah it's one of the things we can do here yeah and, if, and i'm going to add my own little testimonial i've watched you know these things as you dive deeply into this leading with you and other coaches and and other personalities within the integral movement and it just takes all of these things and shapes them into a very nice framework where you actually see not just the claim, but also how it enacts, how we embody it and come into the world as people that are, love the integral view and, and the hope that it brings us. Yeah. So, yeah. Right so thank on. you, Jeff. My great pleasure. Thanks for asking.